This is A Drink with a Friend. I'm Tish Oxenrider. And I'm Seth Haynes. Seth, what are you drinking today? I am drinking coffee, as you would guess, probably. Um, It is not my favorite coffee, and so I'm not going to name the brand. But what I'll tell you, I I was going to say earlier, I'm drinking awful coffee, but then that felt really (laughs) rude to the brand. Mm. Um, So I just will say the brand name. Uh, My my wife, Amber, uh, came down with COVID this week, as you know. Uh, It's why I was not on the podcast last week. And um, as a result of that, um, my parents came up, they live about an hour away, and they just brought us all these groceries, all these, all this food. And they are huge fans of dark roast coffee. And I am just not. Um, And so they brought a pretty good brand of coffee. um, And this like huge, like Sam's Club bag of it. Uh, (laughs) But unfortunately, it's dark roast. So I'm using it this afternoon sort of as a drug, but I'm not super enjoying it. Mm-hmm. You know, I get it. So it tastes burned yeah. usually. Sometimes yeah. you got to do what you got to do, though. Kyle and I call it church coffee. It's like it's yes. there, it's available. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> you wouldn't choose it. And with a donut, it's probably great. <laughs> but yeah. I don't have a donut, so there you right. go. Yeah. What are you drinking? Well, so back in the before times when we could be around people, um, I hosted a gathering of people, like of my. 15 of my supporters, subscriber, whoever you want to call them, patrons, um, which is amazing. They came into my town and we hung out for a weekend and it was like the best. I loved it and I want to do it again. But anyway, um, who knows when that'll happen again. But in the meantime, one of them gave me a box of tea and it was just like, it's called Rare Tea Company. And I have this habit. I don't know if you guys do this of like saving good things as though the queen is going to come instead of just enjoying the good things. And I just decided today, you know what, today is a somewhat regular day and that's good enough to have good tea. So <laughs> I'm drinking from Rare Tea Company. It's called the Royal Air Force Association English Breakfast Tea for Heroes. <laughs> it was put okay. out by the RAF in Britain mm. and it's good. It's just okay. plain old good English breakfast tea and it's got a kick and I like it. So that's what I'm drinking. Sounds awesome. I am a big tea fan and I need to drink tea more because it's good for you. It's good for your body. It's good for your soul. Um, it's yeah. a soulful drink. Coffee is to me is not a soulful drink. It's uh, it's like a punch in the face. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to get better at drinking tea in the afternoon. Like after lunch is tea time. I'm not always great at it because I still like coffee enough to keep drinking coffee. But this late in the afternoon, I need to switch to tea. Is that because you're an Anglophile? <laughs> kind of it well okay. largely and because i get jittery like i can feel my heart beat out of my chest if i drink too much coffee so yeah yeah that makes sense yeah. yeah so you and i are writers primarily in our work we've said this before we both enjoy this podcast but we feel like we're writers who podcast and not podcasters who write on the side we we mm-hmm. think first and foremost of ourselves as writers and Yet, that doesn't mean it doesn't come with its own baggage of what does it mean to write, write well, why do we write, who do we become through writing. So we want to unpack this idea a bit and not alienate our listeners, those of you who maybe don't think of yourselves as writers, because there is something to be said about the reason we write that can translate to all sorts of lives and reasons and and people. So um, yeah, let's talk about writing some. 
Man, I would love to talk about writing. And when we talk about writing, I think one of the things that we can sort of remember, um, and by that, I mean, we can remind each other um, that when we talk about writing, we're really talking about artistic craft. So probably anything that we say today can apply to any sort of artistic craft. Um, I really enjoyed last week's podcast with Kyle. Um, and I, I actually got a chance to talk to him today, uh, which was a lot of fun. And and one of the things that I said to him is I love listening to him because he thinks totally different than I think. And when he is uh, doing any sort of like craftsman work, you know, like fixing pipes or, you know, hanging drywall or whatever the stuff that he does that I can't do um, for him, it's so natural. It's, it's sort of like praying. Um, and so as we talk about writing today, I would assume that, that like some of the things we're going to say even apply to, uh, Kyle who is really good with his hands or maybe a painter who's amazing with a paintbrush or maybe somebody who really, really loves business. I mean, whatever mm-hmm. the art you apply is, um, I hope that some of what we talk about today sort of applies. It reminds me of when we were in Italy back in 2014. And then Kyle and I talked about this when we went again. Uh, one of the reasons we like it there so much is because everything they do, they do from an artful perspective. And, yes. or, yep. yeah, and I know I'm painting with a broad brush, but it feels like that, like buying groceries is a form of art or making anything as a form of art. So I think that's kind of what we're talking about, because Kyle is exactly that. He renovates the bathroom like it's art. And that's yeah. why it takes so long when he does it. But it's also right. really good when he does it. Yeah. Right. Right. So as writers, um, there's, you know, there, there's a whole range of, of sort of writing that, that happens. I mean, there's obviously personal writing that you do in your journal, um, whether it's, you know, a daily reflection or an examine or a prayer journal or uh, just a diary, whatever. There's, you know, there's kind of that personal sort of writing. Then if, um, you know, if you love the craft, then you're probably telling stories a lot. Or, uh, you know, maybe writing short stories or writing poems or um, maybe crafting, you know, a piece that would be magazine length or something like that. Um, And then if you if you're lucky, you know, from time to time, you get paid to write something, whether that is, you know, something that's periodical length or whether that's something that's book form. Um, But that is a kind of a different kind of writing when you're writing for pay. You have deadlines, you have editors, you have idea pressures. I mean, you know this, like you've, you've experienced all this, right? Like you have all of these additional pressures that come along with it. Um, that, that's just a lot different than writing something because uh, you enjoy it. And one of the things I find, and I don't know if you found this, is that a lot of the folks that I know and that I really love as writers, and I love to read their stuff, um, they'll tell you, they all they do is write for pay anymore. And it's, it starts to like drain them. It gets them tired. Um, They still love it. It's still a craft. It's still a great job, uh, particularly those who are able to do it full time. Uh, But at the same time, you know, writing for pay all of the time kind of drains you and it saps you of your creative energy. And I, I don't know, have you experienced this? A hundred percent. I'm experiencing it literally right now because I'm in the middle of writing my book uh, on Lent, which I love because I love the liturgical calendar and the rhythms that it provides. And so I have so much to say. And yet there is something that as soon as it becomes an assignment, it 
there is some kind of roadblock or wall, whatever metaphor you want to use, that makes it hard to do. I was talking with my 13-year-old son about this, who is naturally a story crafter, story creator. Mm-hmm. He loves mm-hmm. He lives in a book. He loves D&D because of the world building. He is just all about stories. As soon as his teacher gives him an assignment, he doesn't want to write it. And he says, it's because (laughs) it's an assignment. And, you know, I laugh and tell him, dude, this is part of life. This is a thing you're going to have to work on because welcome to the reality. Um, But yet I get it. I totally get how that feels. And that's what it can do for me. And so I think so many people listening can identify with this idea of getting into a line of work that you love that feels like play or feels like art when you suddenly have to do it or are given like restrictions like deadlines, yep. it's, it starts sucking the life out. So where's the tension between still doing it because you like feeding your family and mm-hmm. remembering why you love to do it in the first place? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little bit lucky and I've said this to others before. I'm a little bit lucky in that writing is not my primary vocation. Um, Mm -hmm. I've, I've written a couple books for five years. I did a lot of co-writing, ghostwriting, uh, editing. And in those years, it really was my primary vocation, but now, you know, it's, it's really not, um, my primary vocation. I split time between that and, and, you know, my day job, um, which provides a whole lot more balance, but, uh, what I used to tell people that I worked with all the time is that when it becomes your primary vocation and when you start writing for an editor and for an audience, you've got to be careful and you have to maintain like the art somewhere else. Like you, you mm-hmm. can't leave the art form. Um, you know, you got to do your day job go do your day job. But by the same token, if you leave your, the, the love of the craft that you had in the beginning and you're not doing that somewhere else, you run the risk of really burning out, which is uh, as anyone who plies any trade or any art, that's the last thing you want to do is burn out and end up hating your art. Isn't that interesting though? Because I think we have this idea, like that's the, that's the ideal. That's the goal. Like, how can I do this full time for a living and nothing else? Um, and we don't realize what it is we want, you know, that it's not what we think it is. It reminds mm-hmm. me, I mean, literally yesterday I had a meeting with my boss at the school where I teach. So my writing is my main line of work. However, it's not my only, I teach English yeah. to high schoolers. Right. And she was asking me what I was willing to do next year compared to this year, you know, so that they, they know their staffing needs. And I had told her what I was willing to do. And she's really great. And um, I, I just really like how she thinks. And she had said, no, are you sure? I want to make sure that you have enough time to write and to do your other job. And oh, I, wow. Which is amazing. But I, I did yeah. tell her the thing I have learned, because this will be if I, you know, continue doing it, which I hope to do, it'll be my fourth year teaching. The thing I have learned in these four years is that I need this other gig because it makes yeah. my writing better. And oh, I, Oh yeah, totally. Because all I was doing was, I mean, I don't want to say all I was doing, I was raising small children at home. So that's a whole thing. But yeah. once I started adding the additional vocation, I felt like not only was my writing better, but I made better use of my time. Like practically mm-hmm. I didn't yeah. just have un I didn't just have open time to write. Um, and I found this quote this week that I thought, ooh, that was good. Um, it's from Francis Asbury, who said, my soul is more at rest from the tempter when I'm busily employed. Mm. And 
I think that's kind of true for me as a writer. I think I need all this free time. Like I need an open day with 10 hours to write. But actually, my soul is more at rest as a writer when I've got 10 minutes before I have to wake up the kids. It is is such yeah. a weird thing. So yeah. I don't know. And also just tangentially, if you read a lot of the great writers and you look at their writing schedules, I mean, most of them only really wrote three to four hours a day. You can't do much more than that. And when I was writing full time, again, for the last five years, I mean, there's a wall. You can't just expend that much creative energy and expect to write eight hours a day. It's ridiculous. You can't do it. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, so so there's that that piece of it too. and, And your vocation helps there. One of the things that that I've been contemplating is when you write for a particular audience and when you begin to tailor your voice to that audience, particularly if that audience is a faith-based audience, um, you can really start getting into some mind loops, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, well, I can't say that because it'll offend people or I can't do this because then they'll stop reading, you know, this, this kind of writing or, or whatever. Um, when you start writing for people, for a market, you lose a sort of freedom. You lose mm-hmm. a sort of uh, ability to, 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 to do something that's fun and creative to you. And again, kind of like that in any uh, endeavor. You know, if you're, if you're doing a, a painting for a particular type of, we, we saw this in Italy, right? If you are uh, funded by a particular business person to create a painting and they say, put my face in it, what are you going to do? Right. Put their face in it. Right. Um, And it's all over Florence. Um, You know, when you find yourself in that position, one of the the best things that you can do is sort of just take some time off, break away um, and do something that's just for you. Um, I don't know if you know the story, but Neil Young, when he released his album, I think it was the album with Heart of Gold on it, but I can't remember. There's an article floating out there somewhere about this. Uh, The next album that he did was a live album of original songs that no one in the crowd knew. And Mm. it was like, it's a masterful album, but people ripped him to shreds at the time Mm. uh, because they were like, Hey, capitalize on this momentum, capitalize on this market that you've grabbed. And he was like, no man, anytime I have a platform or a people eating out of my hands, I want to burn it down and start over because that's where the creative freedom is. Um, So kind of to that end, and this is where, uh, you know, this idea sort of came from for us to talk about today. Um, you know, I, I have written two books and I do write in a certain way, in a certain place. But over the last eight years, I've been really slowly crafting uh, a novel that has really, up to this point, been just for me. Um, and I've really enjoyed it. And I finished the editorial process this last week while Amber was in lockup. Uh, I saw that. I had, a, had a little bit of extra time. Um, and when I was finished, I thought, this is the r- joy of my career. Like, mm. it may never get published. No one may ever read it. It may never see the light of day outside of some friends and family or whatever. Um, but as I walked away from it, I thought, man, this is the joy of my career. And now I have fuel to like, actually write something else if I want. You know, I have space, mm. I have creative freedom. And and if I want to go back and, and work on the things that I've been working on, I can. Um, because I've done something that was solely for me. And I tell yeah. people all the time, if I'm coaching them in writing, um, which I do a little bit of that, I'll say, like, write the book that you want to write. Don't Don't write the book under contract, write your book. 
Um, yeah. And when you're finished, go get a contract if you want or don't hmm. because you've now written the book that you wanted to write. And I think that's really important in any craft is like carve out the space to do the thing that you want to do that cannot be influenced by uh, the market or the demands of a boss or uh, the demands of anyone. I mean, you have to create your own time to pursue your own art. And I think it's interesting that in our culture, we don't know how to do that anymore. Like we don't, Mm -hmm. it is so hard to give ourselves permission to do something just for fun or just for the Mm -hmm. beauty of it. Like the end result is to make beauty in the world, not for a paycheck like our brains can't even wrap our mind around it. You know, there, there were those studies done in the 1960s that talked about how with the increase in technology, we're going to end up in like by the 21st century with all this free time and who knows what we're going to come up with. We don't have free time. We've filled it with other things. And so I think we have lost the art of free time and really the art of leisure, which is probably a whole other conversation because I really want to talk about the real original meaning of leisure. Um, have you ever read the book by uh, Joseph Pieper? That is, um, we've talked about this before. You know, I sent it to you guys over the summer. I don't know if you knew that. Um, leisure, the basis of culture. It was written oh, right I've after I've seen World the War book. II. I didn't know. Where, I didn't know where it came from. Maybe it you came from me. It to Amber. Okay. All <laughs> yeah, right. There I sent you it go. To Amber. All right. Okay. Fantastic book. Great philosopher. And basically, the idea is. Leisure is what sustains us as a culture because the original meaning of leisure comes from the same root word as our root word for school. And that Mm. is restful learning. The idea Mm. is literally learning, but from a place of rest. Mm. And I think that's probably where this idea of writing for the sake of what you want to write comes from. It's not that it's just like for fun and just play. It is play, but just like a kid, a little kid yeah. learns all the yeah. time through their play. It's sort of our version of that. Um, we're becoming more human, more who we need to be by giving ourselves the space to write from a place of leisure or create whatever art it is we're meant to create from a place of leisure. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have one of these um, watches that tracks your stress, your heart rate and your stress levels and all of these things. It seems like everybody has these nowadays. Um, and while I was actually editing, uh, this, this novel that I was working on again, only for me in my leisure time, um, just for the joy and the beauty of it. Um, I can actually go back and look at my stress stats and see that while I was working on it, my stress levels were low. So I would be working all day and I would have fairly, I mean, not, I, I don't live a high stress life. So it's, I mean, it's higher stress. Um, I had a couple of arguments that day with some, uh, some people. Um, and then, you know, that evening I was, I was working on this, this piece of running just for me and my stress levels plummeted. It was like, I was totally at ease, totally at home, totally cool, uh, where I was. And, and maybe that's a piece of that leisure thing too. And, and, and a piece of like doing art in your leisure, it really does help you blow off some steam. So if it's all just work, work, work all the time. And you're not using some of those same skills um, really to, 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 to enjoy the time and to make something beautiful. Um, you're not giving your body the, the chance to sort of breathe and to relax and to blow off some steam um, in some really healthy ways. I don't know the psychology behind that, but there's got to be some. There 100% is, I am sure. And like the the thing we like to do around here is peel back the top layer to look at the divine, you know, the sacramental nature of this. To me, this feels like the sacramental art of creating in a way 
that mirrors our image of God. Like if we're made in the image of God and that God is a creator and that's one of the main reasons we create as humans, I can't help but wonder if whenever we are in that flow, you know, where we're creating and we've lost track of time, our heart rate is at rest and we're doing it out of the love of whatever mm-hmm. it is, the, the story we're telling, that that has to be a picture of how God creates the things we see. Because I was telling the kids the other day, if you think about it, God could have created us to either not need food at all or to just like pop a bland pill, you know, some kind of mana capsule just to keep <laughs> us going, like recharging us. But God made food delicious and God yeah. made food in such a way that he gave humans creative minds to come up with how to put the ingredients together to make them amazing. And yeah. so it seems like God cares about creativity just for the sake of creating. Like, yeah. you know, because we don't need it to taste good. And yet it does. Yeah. We don't yeah. need literature or great storytelling. And yet maybe we do because that's that mimics who we are in place of the divine. I don't know. Yeah. Have you yeah. watched I think we may have talked about it on this on this podcast. Have you watched the uh Chef's Table with the Buddhist nun? <laughs> we have talked about it because you told me to see it. Emily P. Freeman has told me to see it. So I finally watched an episode and yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking of. Isn't it amazing? And, yeah. and in that episode, and I think everyone needs to go watch it. Um yeah. this is a, a a woman who has set her life aside uh, to live in this monastery. Um, And she is an amazing chef and she could go make enormous gobs of money using her trade, uh, you know, for business. Um, Mm -hmm. But she doesn't do it. And instead she, she stays and she cooks what's called, she calls it the monastery food. Just these, Mm -hmm. these simple dishes with simple ingredients that are absolutely gorgeous just right. on the plate. I mean, it, it's like there are works of art on the plate. And when you watch her, you can just see, okay, here's somebody who has not given herself to the whims of business. She has not sold her trade. Um, she applies it in this way that's very quiet, very humble. It's a miracle that anyone ever heard about it. Um, it's artistic and beautiful for the sake of the artistry and the beauty. Um, and it brings a lot of joy to the lives of the people that she lives with. And to me, that is the most uh, b- beautiful moment is when you're using your art and your craft uh, to make your own life better and to make the life of the people around you better. You know, when you're, you're for us, you, you, the two of us, it would be uh, writing a story that, you know, you're not necessarily sending off for publication, but that you're sharing with your friends and your family. And uh, for a painter, it may be painting something that you sent to your mother or um, for a business person, it may be sitting down and advising a friend on, on a business deal that's uh, mucky and, and terrible and hard to plot, you know, ply apart or pry apart. Um, so to me, you know, again, I just keep going back to this idea that I think art is done best when it's not done for the money. There may be mm-hmm. money as an ancillary benefit of that, Um, but it's not done for the money. It's not done for the platform. It's not done for the Twitter people or the Instagram people or the Facebook people. Uh, It's not done for your own ego. It's actually done for the love of the craft. And so my question to you, because you write for money too, is Mm -hmm. do you carve out time to do this kind of writing on your own? Um, Yes and no. 
I need to be better at it. This conversation has been a kick in the pants reminder that I need to make time to do it because yes, I do it, but not often enough. And the little taste that I've done brings me so much joy that I remember why I like to write to begin with. Mm -hmm. You know, I got into this gig as a writer pretty accidentally. I started off because this is back, you know, 2006, seven, eight, starting one of those blog things because I enjoyed writing, you know, and Kyle was, we were living overseas and Kyle was like, Hey, you should write one of those blogs. And so I did. And I never in a million years thought, you know, finally, now I'm going to launch my career as a writer. And I missed that purity of it. And um, I, I definitely have writing that does not have a home because it was just something that I needed to get out. Um, you know, we in my English classes, we do free writing once a week. And I tell the kids that this is a lot like when you are turning on a sink that hasn't been turned on in a week and the water's kind of rusty. You're just clearing out the rust so that the water then becomes drinkable. It's kind of that idea, like getting out these things so that I can really write. But I also just want to do that bit, not because I just want to clear the cobwebs, but because I actually want to give myself my best work. And I don't yeah. do that enough. Do you do yeah. that? Um, I try to. I try to. I don't, I mean, like you, the, things get in the way, you know, life interferes. Um, and like you, I write publicly. So sometimes it's, it's kind of a hard line to define. Like, when am I writing for myself and when am I writing to be public? Um, so sometimes it's murky. Um, but I really do try to scratch some words every week that are just sort of for me. And, and sometimes it's a poem and sometimes it's, you know, scrap lines for something someday, one day, who knows where, mm-hmm. um, it could be a scene. Uh, I have a, a, a big notebook that has scraps of scenes for, you know, stories that may or may not ever come together. Um, so yeah, I do try to do that a lot because I feel most at home when I'm writing. I feel most in myself when I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Um, the last two weeks, I, I have a, a an hour that I go to the church and I spend in silence and contemplation. And the last two weeks, um, I've written poems. And I've never felt more at home than when I'm sitting in silence and contemplation uh, with you know, hopefully uh, communing with God. And I'm also using the sort of gift that I have um, to write something that speaks to me or that speaks of, you know, of something in my life. Um, So I I think, yeah, I do that. And I think it's important that we all do that regardless of the craft. Like I get the Mm -hmm. sense going back to Kyle, I get the sense that if he never made a dime from fixing stuff, he would still run around the house fixing stuff. Right. Oh, he can't not. When we travel and we go to Airbnbs, he starts fixing things. He starts fixing (laughs) squeaky doors and leaky faucets. Like when we're on vacation, because he can't help himself and he loves doing it. He's not doing it to be obnoxious. He just, he, it thrills him whenever he can help someone like that. So yeah, it's a hundred percent. You're yeah, you got it. And I yeah. kind of think, I mean, that's to me, man, that's if, if there was something that this podcast could, could sort of encourage people to do and could curate, it would be, you know, carving out the time to do the thing that you love 
for you, not for the recognition, not for the adulation, not for the platforming, not for all this stuff that frankly just props up uh, a lot of the industry that we're in. Um, Mm -hmm. But just because you love it, like being a paid writer is never going to be enough. You know, being a wealthy businessman is never going to be like you're always, there's always going to be more you could do. There's always going to be more you could achieve. So um, if we could encourage our listeners, I think to just step back and say, okay, I am doing Mm -hmm. some things for the pay and I am doing some things for the platform, but what can I do that's just between me and God? Uh, What can I do that just serves the people in my life and brings beauty to the people in my life? Because that's what God's made me to do. Yeah. And as a little just side benefit, I think ultimately doing those things, making sure we make time for that, makes the vocation that's more public better. It it gives us some depth. Like, you, you know, we, listeners know for sure, whenever yeah. there is a reader who has published a book because they wanted to write a book or because they have a contract, not because they have something to say. Yeah. And it's not to, you know, just throw a match on the whole publishing industry. It's to say that we are, we are inundated with people who create things because they want to create, not because they have something to say. And the people that I enjoy the most have this multidimensional life that they can um, use as soil, you know, like with different minerals to, to fertilize so that good stuff can grow. It reminds me, I don't know why I keep thinking of this, but the actor Daniel Day-Lewis, I remember hearing about, you know, there was a long span of time when he didn't do anything. And I found out, like, I, I think I'd like Googled, like, where is Daniel Day-Lewis? Um, <laughs> this is ages ago. And it turns out he was working as a cobbler in Italy because he wanted to. And so he went just to some little village where nobody would really care who he was. And he just wanted to make stuff. And he just, he just talked to I know, right? He just needed to, he wanted to go away and learn the art of making really great shoes. And so that's what he did. And then so came maybe back in and, his retire- maybe that's what he does now. Yeah. Who knows? Cause he's retired, right? That's um, right. Yeah. Yeah. And so to me, that really says something like, you know, I think of Wendell Berry, who's a farmer. I think of, um, I don't know, there's so many people like Tom Hanks, even he does yeah. different things. And, you know, these are more public names, but even like, neighbors and if you think of the people in your life that are just really interesting it's because they do other things to make their lives rich and i think that's a good lesson yeah. for all of us yeah you know when collier my dear friend just came out with a mm-hmm. book um it's the authorized biography of eugene peterson um and it's called uh, a fire in my bones i think yeah. um and it's it, i mean it just it's amazing um you know, when got to know him over the years and just said, Hey, could I write your biography? And he said, yeah, sure. Why not? Right place, right time, I guess. Um, (laughs) but, but one of the things, I mean, you're talking about Wendell Berry, but like, even when you look at Eugene Peterson, I mean, he, he was not an author first. Uh, he was a pastor first and he would say, I was, you know, I'm a pastor first. And, and he was not a mega church pastor. He was not doing it for, you know, the accolades or the platform. He was in a tiny church, um, in the middle of nowhere, you know, and, uh, and still, um, you know, did his day job, quote unquote, uh, faithfully. And as a result, had a lot of things to say from the overflow of, of, of who he was. And actually, it's funny because Wynn's the same way. Wynn wrote that book 
uh, he was a pastor uh, in Virginia doing his thing with his people. Um, and he wrote this book because he felt like, you know, the, the story needed to be told and, um, and he loved Eugene and wanted to do it right. He did it right. And, and again, I mean, you know, both of these guys wrote for money, so it's not, it's not like there wasn't a money component there, uh, certainly, but the primary motivation for both of them, and I can speak for Wynn on this one, like his primary motivation was not the paycheck. Um, Mm. I don't ever get the sense that Eugene's primary motivation was for the paycheck. Um, it was because of the love of the craft. And, yeah. and there was, there were things to say, as you've said, there were things to say, and that comes through in the writing. So what do you think is kind of the takeaway? I mean, I guess I'm curious about two things and maybe this is another episode where we can get into the, what does this mean for the publishing industry? You know, as you know, listeners might not be writers, but most of them are readers. So what does this mean about what's being published and how do we support good writing and good art? But then also what does that look like in our lives when we still need to feed our kids and, you know, pay our mortgages? Like, where's the balance? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I think I always want to start with the, with the person, with the listener, with the you, the me. Um, and I think the first thing I would say is, is we, we have to be intentional to carve out space to engage our own craft. Surely just for the sheer beauty of the craft. Um, if you're not doing that, then don't go try to build a platform based on your writing. Um, because my, the question I would ask you is, are you doing it for the love of the beauty and the love of the craft? Or is there some, some other motivation? Like what's, what's in there? Why, why do you need to do this? Mm-hmm. Um, so if, if you're not just doing it for you, like first things first, make sure that you take the time uh, to carve out time to do that, you know, for yourself. Um, yeah. And I would say that again, regardless of whether it's, you know, writing or other form of art or music uh, or, you know, business or whatever the thing is that you do, make sure that you're carving out time to do something that is just beautiful for the love of the beauty. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing I would say about supporting good writing, I mean, you know, shameless plug maybe for all of us (laughs) and our friends, Um, you know, find good writing. You're a huge proponent of this. Find Mm -hmm. writers that you like and if they have platforms that you can support, support them, whether that's through yeah. a Substack or subscribing to a newsletter. If you like it, like join up, follow along, um, yeah. encourage them and encourage them to do beautiful work that is simply just beautiful, not for the platform, but just for the beauty. Like keep encouraging them to do that um, because the more people demand that, the more writers will listen, you know? That's right. Um, And so keep demanding the good work, the deep work, the rich work, the work that comes from the overflow, not the stuff that's necessarily just Twitter fodder. And I think for finding new artists, it's good to find those who you like, who they are following and recommending, because it's, it's not useful to see who has the largest following on Instagram to find who's doing the real art that you want to see more of in the world. And so, you know, consider perhaps word of mouth or asking a friend who like seems to have good taste in, in books or music. Hey, what are you reading? Who should I read? Or, um, you know, perhaps it's a newsletter and they've linked to something. Take that step and, and go down that rabbit hole of, um, just some good work that's being put out there, regardless of, what they say on Twitter, or even if they are on Twitter and right. um, 
yeah, like be intentional about looking out for those people because there's a lot of people doing really great work that are just quietly showing up and doing their thing. And I think mm-hmm. we forget that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I stumbled across, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago because I'm still finishing up her book, but I stumbled across Heather King's blog, and I'm in a prime example of that. I feel like she is just mm-hmm. quietly doing really amazing work, um, mm-hmm. and I'm excited about that. I'm excited to say, yeah, I've now read her blog, and I've re- I'm reading her books, and um, she's not splashy. She's not flashy. You don't see her out there trying to build something based on her ego. Um and I, yeah. I love that. It feels quiet and worth reading. Yeah, it's good. I think we're all hitting that point where the internet's at a fever pitch where we just can't handle any more noise. And this is the yeah. antidote, I think. Yep. Yeah. It's I not that the right. internet needs to be burned down. We just need to find those quiet spaces. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And dig in. It's good. Yeah. Well, speaking of good work, good art, um, what are you reading, watching, or listening to these days? Um, this is going to be really funny because, you know, Amber's been, uh, Amber's been laid up in bed. And so I have had, uh, two books, um, that I've been reading and a show. So it was really hard to pick between these. And this is going to be really awful because you're about to see how dark and twisted I truly am. All right. Um, I've been watching murder among the Mormons on Netflix. I've never heard of it. Okay. Yeah. And it's really funny because I was thinking about this before I I, uh, I came on because it's like, hey, what's something that you're reading, watching or listening to that's bringing, you know, truth, beauty or goodness to your life? <laughs> well, this seems like a stretch, right? But yeah. um, it's really, it was really fascinating. Um, and I won't give away any spoilers, but it's really fascinating to watch somebody who has a very, very specific innately God-given talent, use it for bad. Um, and so as I was watching it the whole time, I was thinking, yeah, I know. I, I know. It sounds like I'm going in the wrong direction with this, doesn't it? But um, I get it. But, okay. but as I was watching, I was thinking, um, you know, we all have these gifts and talents that we can use for for good purposes, for evil purposes, for neutral purposes, for sacramental purposes. Um, and it actually really led me to contemplate um, a lot of my own the own my own work the, the the gifts and talents that i i have and use and how am i using those um neutrally how am i using them for good or maybe how am i even using them for evil so not that i'm doing anything nefarious sure there are no there are no bodies in the basement i don't even have a basement but yeah <laughs> so it. for for me it was the mormon murder show on netflix <laughs> okay Good. Yeah. I like it. I can't say I highly recommend it if you're looking for truth, beauty, or goodness, unless you're going to take sort of a circuitous route to get there, like I did. Is it true crime or is this fiction? Oh, totally true crime. Okay. And Amber hates true crime. I do too, that, actually. Yeah. The <laughs> only time I get to watch it is when she's uh, sick. So I there it is. it's three episodes. I just did it. Okay. I get so, the connection sorry. now. <laughs> it, it, took, it took me a minute to get there, didn't it? But no, that's all right. I, I get going. it. I was right. trying to figure out what does Amber being in quarantine have to do with <laughs> murder mm, among the Mormons. Yeah, now I get it. That's right. exactly what it has to do with it. So what are you reading, watching, or listening to that is bringing, being, bringing, that is bringing uh, some goodness, truth, beauty to your life? All right. I think you're going to like this if you haven't yet. There is a podcast called The Daily Poem. It's put out by Circe, who I really like as a company. Um, it is exactly what it sounds like. It's a poem a day. and just about every episode is under 10 minutes. So it's not long and drawn out. It is done by David Kern. What he does is he reads a poem 
And then he has some thoughts about it, either his own thoughts, commentary, but not in an obnoxious way, in a thoughtful Mm -hmm. way. Or um, he will kind of springboard off that poet and read something that they wrote about that poem to give some context and depth. And then he'll end by reading it a second time. So it is one poem a day and it's fantastic. So this morning's was literally from Wendell Berry. It was um, Sabbath. It was Sabbath three. And um, so it was written in 1994 and I read it driving down the highway on the way to get my COVID shot. And it just felt really, (laughs) there was a juxtaposition to everything going on because it felt so utilitarian what I was doing. And yet I needed to hear this farmer talk about Sabbath and he ended the last line of that poem is we live the given life, not the planned. And I needed to hear that exactly then I needed to hear we live the given life, not the planned. And I was not expecting that in my errand running today. And so that's exactly what the daily poem does. It gives you that shot of poetry that you didn't know you needed. So um, it's a daily listen for me. I really have grown to appreciate it. That's amazing. How long is it? Like each episode, you mean? Yeah. Like six to 10 minutes, maybe. It's super short. It's really that great. That is because, brilliant. Isn't it great? It's such a good idea. Yeah. And yeah, I know it it's is. not the only podcast out there like that, but that's my favorite one. Just because it's there's no catchy theme music at the beginning. It's just a guy who's reading a poem thoughtfully. And that's what I needed. So, Do you have Barry's uh, Sabbath poems? I don't. Uh, I need them. You em. must. You must. Okay. Yeah. You must. Yeah. I, Everyone I must. Do. Everyone here must. <sighs> that dang Wendell Berry. He's yeah. Dang old Wendell. <laughs> All right. Well, it's time for us to wrap this up. We would love to hear from you. Actually, you guys have been leaving us voicemails. I need to incorporate them more in the show. I think we're going to start doing that. So thank you for leaving us voicemails. Keep doing that. Leave us a voicemail at 401-684-GOOD. Sharing one thing that's pointing you to more truth, beauty, or goodness. We would love to maybe feature you on the show. Uh, You can also find a link for this episode as well as all episodes at a drink with a friend. And if you want to support the show, you can do it at buymeacoffee.com slash drinks. That's where you can pick up the next round of drinks for just a few bucks. And that helps keep the light lights on around here. And, um, you know, we also have a sub stack, which you can find at a drink with a friend.com. And we're going to be building that up in the very near future. And I'm excited about that. So you can find me. Me too. You can find me at tishoxenwriter.com. Seth, where can people find you? Hey, I finally did it. You can find (laughs) everything you need at sethhaines.com. Nice. Way to go. All right. Music for the show is by Kevin McLeod. Editing is by Kyle Oxenwriter and Caroline Tassell is our transcriber and assistant. I'm Tish and Seth and I will be back here with you soon. Thanks for listening.